With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue with Ian Cheeseman. Yeah, we are. This is the last Forever Blue of the summer. Um, what a summer it's been. Actually, it's a very hot spring. Depends on where you draw the line and we're not going to get bogged down by that. What is certainly the case is that City are back to the best. I thought they were back to the best against Fulham at the weekend. And Fulham have one or two very highly rated youngsters who I was excited to see. But uh, such was the dominance of City, particularly in the crucial opening half hour when the game is won and lost, that they just frankly blew them away, Paul Lake, didn't they? They certainly did, Ian. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was a very competent performance. Like I say, there was there was uh, three starts for it. There was Leroy Sane was back in. Obviously, uh, Otamendi was in. Fabian Delph. I thought Fabian Delph, if he hadn't come off when he did, could probably may have shaded man of the match with Bernardo Silva potentially. He was he was that impressive. Uh, made his tackles well. He defended when he had to defend. He was robust, but he used the ball beautifully. And then he got forward at every single opportunity and linked really well with David Silva uh, and Leroy Sane. Leroy Sane looks like he's back to his, not quite back to his the absolute best form, but he showed some glimpses, didn't he? And, and you have to imagine that if you were a right back playing against him, you'd be terrified because you wouldn't know how to defend against him. If you go tight, he'll just step inside you. If you give him three, four, five yards, you're not the ball past you, and or if you try and block his run, you're going to get you get booked, and it's just it's just so hard. And then obviously they'll switch and they'll they'll put Raheem on the left and come up to shape. So they're asking questions all the time. And Fulham they started in that first minute and thirty seconds. They kept the ball really well. City couldn't get the ball back, could they? Then we just got the ball back. A mistake from Fulham, and, and already down. You know, with a a cross with um, Fernandinho's left foot, and a finish with. Um, <laughs> Leroy Sane's right foot, you know, so that was that was the start. And Fulham were thinking, my goodness, we've come here, we're a bit confident, playing how we wanted to play, really express ourselves, started off brightly, and already we're not into two and a half minutes of the game and we're, we're one down. And from that moment on, as, as you said there, City were, you know, it just flashes of absolute brilliance with David Silva linking beautifully with, with, with Sergio Aguero. At the same time, Bernardo Silva... And, and we, we can talk about this in, in, in a bit, really, in terms of Bernardo Silva seems to have taken the pressure off. Um, uh, Mahrez. Ma, yeah, um, Mahrez, because 
Everyone's expecting him, £60 million, most expensive signing to set the place alight. But we also know, as City fans, look back into our history that, yes, Sergio Aguero was on fire first game against Swansea. David Silva was a slow burner, wasn't he? You know, he oh, took a little bit Silva was, really, well, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, I mean, he was given uh, almost cameo roles, really, to begin with, wasn't he? But since uh, the, the World Cup, he's come back, you know, played in, in America... And he has been the most consistent player, the star player, you know, of the opening games of our season. Without doubt. Yeah, yeah. So we've got players that are stepping up. As was the case last season, in May, certain players were 9, 10 out of 10 almost because as, as good as we were, each game was someone that was just had that X factor. And that's what I think we've just said there. We've spoken about it. Dado Silva has been that player this season. And he's just got the most wonderful first touch and his ability to, to, to take care of the ball. You know, it, it's in the, it's in almost, a, a, you can only liken him to David Silva in terms of how well he kept it. And the one bit of skill that he showed in the first, if you remember. Oh, do was, I remember? Wow. Well, I mean, I've watched it about 10 times. It was almost like he had Velcro <laughs> on his body, didn't he? You know what I mean? He kept it on his chest, a little cushion header. And yet, three and players. Then a- the beautiful ball yeah, that came yeah. to Raheem Sterling. I know he didn't score, but uh, I saw some wag on uh, Twitter saying, you know, yeah, but he gave the ball away after that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. It was utterly, utterly su- sublime, wasn't it? It was, and it was a beautifully weighted pass as well, with pressure of three players all around him. You know, that's the sign of a player in real form. So, yeah, we've got to be grateful for that. And it will give Riyad Mahrez time to settle in. I think he's trying too hard. I think that's, that's a, you know, and he thinks he's got to be that player. And as long as he plays himself in and, you know, he, he builds his confidence as time goes on, I believe come Christmas in the new year, we'll, we'll see the real, the real Riyad Mahrez stand up. Is it a coincidence that Sane played so well at the weekend, as he did? Now, I know some people listening to this might think, hang on a minute, didn't didn't do it for 90 minutes. Nobody did, really, because they managed the second half, City, didn't they? But in that explosive bit, when it was crucial, he did. But is it any coincidence that Sane's best performance of the season so far came without Mendy? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not... I'm not sort of having a go at Mendy in any way, shape or form. But there has been a lot of debate among City fans as to whether Mendy Mendy and Sane are in each other's way because they both like to go forward, both like to be on that left-hand side. Is that just a coincidence that Sane was at his best without Mendy in the team? Well, you know, Ian, it's a very good point. And I mentioned this at the start of the season is how that was going to fit. And and you, like you say there, uh, Benjamin Mendy is, a, is, a, is an incredible player and he does get forward and he's very high up the pitch. You know, and, and sometimes you could argue maybe he's too high up the pitch, really. You know, and against teams like Liverpool, Manchester United and Tottenham, you're going to get found out. But it's interesting because... The amount of times that Leroy Sane went, went went round the back, if you will, rather than an underload coming inside of the shape, he stayed wide and got down the line and, and then cut in and put balls across the box. That was four or five times. And and uh, that's the ball that he always looks for. David Silva is just um, he's the master at it. Just slipping the ball inside the full-back, you know, for him to run at an angle to cut in towards the six-yard box. Whereas then, when he's got Mendy coming up behind him, has he had a, more of a, a natural tendency to come in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it almost feels like, uh, if City fans were years and years ago, Terry Freeland would try and get forward, but often he'd overlap. He'd go round the, round the linesman. 
he go off the pitch around the linesman <laughs> to overlap, which sounds ridiculous, but there's no space there. That's what I'm trying to get at. And and that's it. You see, that's that's the key is when there's no space to run into and you've got two players. I think uh, Sinai's feeling that I have to come inside to create that space for him to go down the line, which is all well and good, but you're almost making him redundant. And I think there was a point in the in one of the games where they both played where Leroy was on the right-hand side and, and didn't really seem to get into the game. And I, at the same time, uh, a question you know, was, we always ask is, well, when he brought off Fab, uh, Fabian Delph and puts Kyle Walker at left-back, once again, the service seemed to dry up to Leroy Sane. And so it was almost redundant again. So Delph and Sane worked together well. Yeah, it, it did. And and because, I mean, Fabian, you know, he knows his strengths and he knows his limitations. He's not got the pace of Leroy Sane. He certainly hasn't got the pace of Benjamin Mendy. So he plays to his strengths. So he, would, he wouldn't tend to overlap, but he'd go higher at the pitch. But then he'd let, he'd just try and find him or find David, create those triangles, and then, you know, just make sure that they get Leroy Sane in to get in and beyond. And then if Leroy does go or checks back, then he's always open again to, to have, have um, uh, Fabian available for the ball to then take it inside towards Fernandinho to switch the play. So I think he was intelligent in how he played. And I think it suits Leroy Sané better, if I'm being brutally honest. you know. But at the same time, um, we've not really given it enough games where they've played alongside each other to really say you know, as, as, as comprehensively as we can that that is working or, you know what, it really isn't. I know there are games in the Champions League and the League Cup next week, the Carabao Cup, that are going to be in the mix. But there are only two more league games before the trip to Anfield. So if 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 Pep has his in, in his mind what his first eleven is, I know that Mendy is ruled out basically for the game tomorrow against Leon in the Champions League because of injury. And yeah, I'm hearing that there might also be a possibility that Delph has, has got a bit of a problem, unconfirmed yet, which might mean Zinchenko, for example, comes in. But in terms of what you're talking about, about giving them games to see how this works, there might not be the games ahead of such a big game like Liverpool to properly assess this. Is that is that a concern for you? You have to say that it, it possibly could be, but... I at the same time, and I don't think Pep's going to change completely how he plays, but having played against Liverpool on several occasions last season and, 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 you know, realizing their strengths, I think he's going to have to be, in terms of Benjamin Mendy, a tad more cautious. Therefore, we're having Kyle and Benjamin at times a little bit narrower means that there's not going to be that space to play into. And as quick as, as Mo Salah and Mane are, I think Benjamin and Kyle can live with them. So I think he's going to be cautious in, you know, and at the same time, you want Leroy Sane 1v1 against Alexander Arnold or against anybody and coming inside and creating chances that way. So maybe by him being a bit, a bit more tucked in, a bit narrower and, and not getting forward as much as he, as, as he would normally do. That might give a, you know more of a chance of because yeah you can still create overloads and you can create you know two opportunities but you got to make sure that when that when you're making that run is that the ball's under control the ball's in the right position and and it, it almost makes Leroy Sane's mind up for him mm. or David Silva to put him in but if you, if in doubt I think they're going to be a, a little bit more conservative but that's not how Pep plays he's still going to get forward he's still going to be very expressive but again you're absolutely right. That there isn't enough time for him to really test that. But I would imagine that even with the best managers in the world, like probably who we've got at the minute, he's still going to recognise our frailties in terms of playing against Liverpool. They have got a very, very strong attacking, attacking formation and they can, they can tear anybody apart if, if you give them the opportunity to. Next up, of course, is the Champions League. Leon 
Um, obviously, the, uh, they're a bit of an unknown quantity from a different league, although I know you've identified a, a couple of players that show the strength that they've got. Um, and it's important to get off to a winning start in this competition. I looked at the team selection against Fulham and there was no John Stones. Uh, nice to see Nicholas Otamendi back. No Vincent Company. Uh, obviously, it was Laporte and Otamendi in this case. Do we, would you read anything into that? Do you, do you expect it to be maybe Stones and Company then against um, against Leon, Or... Is it, is it not as straightforward as that? I think with Pep Guardiola, we've realised that it's not, is it? And, you know, we try and second guess what the team's going to be. And I wouldn't even be surprised if Zinchenko starts tomorrow night, even if Fabian Del fit. Because that's the kind of, that's what Pep's like. You know, he pre- prepares a certain way. And if he feels it's right to do it now, and that person's not quite at it, then he's going to miss the boat. So, you know, there's, there's always surprises from Pep Guardiola in terms of, you know, who's going to start. It may be even that Gabriel Jesus might start, you know, alongside Riyad Mahrez and he rests Aguero. You, do, you just really don't know. And Aguero limps off with a little bit of an ankle, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, a little bit. Today, yeah, but. but I don't think it's going to be anything, anything serious. But at the same time, again, it, because, because of how he manages the group, I think every player is ready and prepared and takes it on the chin if, if they're not going to be. But in, in terms of Leon, Jesus, yeah, you're right. I mean, they, they scored 87 goals last season, so they weren't the top scorers, but they weren't far off in knowing the, the Liga, Liga, as you say. At the same time, you've got um, Fekir was a player that to Liverpool tried to sign. He was the young player of the year in Liga last season. And he scored 18 goals, but also um, it was Memphis Depay who, who scored 19 goals last season. So he's left Manchester United and he's flourished in France. And you've got two players there that on the back of last season, you know, were in very, very good form and, and a team that you can't take lightly. The, the last game they had 81% possession, um, in, even though they drew 2-2. You know, so again, they, they, they do concede and they're seventh in the league at the moment. So they're not absolutely setting the league alight, but they know we've got players who can hurt City if we're not organised. So it's going to be a good test. I think we'll have too much for them without being arrogant in saying that, as we should do. Um, and, and obviously listening to um, what Mikel Arteta has been saying today, you know, obviously uh, is very, very positive, very confident. And, and all of the sound bites are City are expect to get the semi-finals, if not towards the final. Well, we've got to come on to that as well. Mikel Arteta took the, hosted the uh, press conference, if you like, for City today. I wasn't able to go because I was doing a talk in Macclesfield. To oh, rock and roll. Ladies who were, were fantastic and, uh, and made me feel very welcome. So I couldn't get to the press conference. But Mikel Arteta was the man who was, was there. Tomorrow, Pep is banished to the stands. The, F, the UEFA rules, and we're going to talk about UEFA and booing and all that a little bit later on mm. and whether the fans will and should do that. But we'll come to that later on. On. The fact is that Pep is in the stands. Apparently, from the moment the coach arrives, and we, we know what happens, we've seen it, they go through the tunnel club and everything, from that moment onwards, Pep can have no contact with the team until the final whistle has gone, and he'll be sat in the stands. Now, you, I don't know this, right? This is a genuine player a question to a player. How much is that a disruptor, or how much of a, a, is it likely to be a disruptor to those players? Or does it not matter? Is all the preparation done before that, co- that, that coach arrives? I think, I think it will matter to an extent, because obviously you, players 
like to know what's coming next. So they get into routines, routines of, of, of training in terms of the voices. Obviously, you've got Mikel, you've got Pep and you've got Rodolfo Barral. So you're working in defence, midfield and attacking units. So they're used to that. They're familiar with that. You know, as, as much as Mikel's been in the, in the changing rooms, he speaks to the players all the time. The players respect him. Uh, it's a different voice. And at key moments, we've seen, if, you, if anyone's watched All or Nothing, you'll see that, you know, it, it could inspire the, the tea lady, Pep. You know what I mean? That, that's that's what I'm expected that's, to be picked one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so so that's that's what we're talking about. And and Mikel isn't quite that, but maybe one day he will be. He, he might be. Who knows what's going to happen in, in in three seasons from now? We don't know, do we? So that's an interesting one. But certainly it will it will feel different and it will be different. And and just Pep's presence is is something which you know not many managers have. You know, perhaps you could you could argue Mourinho may have that, and in the past. Uh, Sir Alex and, and uh, Brian Clough, those types of managers, just standing there is enough. Just giving the players a look often is enough. And we know how animated he's on the sidelines. So the, it's going it's to impact him. Is it going to be more crucial then at half-time rather than before? I would suggest um, before, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think at half-time, we, we're not going to see a anything drastic just keep on keeping on is going to be the you know and the players are behind let, let's say the worst case scenario happens and they're behind at half time that's when you'd miss Pep as well wouldn't well maybe you? but I think if you're going to have if, if it's going to be Vincent Company playing on David Silva and the likes then you've got those leaders in the change room anyway and and nothing will have changed they know what the expectations are you know, and, the, and the standards have been set regardless so all the preparation has been done by Pep all of the, the, the sound bites that have to come from Pep will come from Mikel it'll be his voice you know that so it's going to be nothing that he's going to do out of the ordinary. And I think um, because because of we know what's expected, I think it's going to be a case of just just carry on as is. But I just wonder if it's going to be like the US Open, you know, with Serena Williams, where you can look at the manager and he can't even gesture with his hands otherwise. You know what I mean? Pep's going to get another ban. You know what I mean? But no, it's going to be an interesting perspective to sort of see what happens. But I expect um, Mikel to, to have more than enough in his, in his own locker to be able to deal with the situation. There'll be more cameras on Pep than there is in the Big Brother house, won't there? They'll be watching every single nuance of what he does. And if he does a little bit of one of the, like you say perfectly, you know, uh, the, the Williams uh, girl, you know, Serena, getting uh, this sort of hand gesture of go forward to the net, if he does... It can, it can, it can, it's not going to make any difference if he did that anyway, <laughs> exactly. is it? I'm just joking, but, <laughs> but you can imagine, can't you? Because he's so animated, he might need three seats, you know, to the side <laughs> of him, in front and behind, because he'll be like an orchestrating money, so yeah. you might get slapped across the face if you're not careful, sat too close to him. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I know it's going to be going to be different, and I think it, it's it's slightly. Um, going to be off-putting for one, one or two players because every player reacts differently. Some players don't need that voice. Some need still an arm around them every single game and some will need that firm voice before and at half-time. And Pep will know what to do and what to say in, that, in those, those situations. So he's going to have his, his, his soldiers, his foot soldiers, you know, in, in, in Mikel and Rodolfo are going to be the voices for him and, and having those key conversations. But no one can articulate it in a way that Pep does. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage it, but I expect City to have it too much for Leon anyway, regardless. We're going to talk to Andy Morrison in a minute. I'll just ask you one more question, uh, which is you, you touched on it about Mares because when I've talked to fans after games, 
uh, almost always the fans say, oh, Mares didn't play well today. Mares isn't quite at it yet. There is definitely a feeling among supporters of disappointment so far. You're obviously pleading for patience from, from what you've been saying, having looked at David Silva, Bernardo Silva, even Sane, and other players who've been maybe slow to start. Are you convinced that Mares is the right player? Because we we saw what he did at Leicester. We know... And so far, what he's done as a player, in my opinion anyway, is pretty much, excuse me, try to replicate what he did at at, um, at Leicester. But the difference at Leicester is he had a, they played a bit on the counter-attack and Vardy would be making these darted runs and City don't play like that. So my question really is, do you, from what you know of Mahrez, what you've seen of him, and not just, you know, asking you to comment on what he's done so far this season, but is he the right player for a Pep Guardiola team? I think he is because one or two fans have said that said this to me in terms of oh, he's, n- he's not lightning quick like Raheem or like um, like Leroy Sane. Well, neither is Bernardo Silva. Bernardo plays in the, white, the on, on the in those wide areas and keeps the ball beautifully. I think that's what what Mahrez will will bring. You know, he'll bring that patience. He'll have that right pass, especially in Champions League. I think as the game progresses and he gets used to the environment. Don't forget, he was pretty much the kingpin at Leicester. He was regarded as the being the best player. So now he's come, he stepped into an environment where. You know, he might have cost the most money, but he certainly isn't recognised as being the best player. He's one of, but he certainly isn't the best player. And he's having to to find his feet in a, in a, a changing room with world class footballers all Play around differently. him. Differently, playing slightly differently as well, with different expectations and different responsibilities. And that's something else which people have to recognise is the fact that he will come into this side now, whereas at Leicester, he may have had pretty much a free reign. Yeah, getting the ball from the, from the right-hand side and cutting in the cross, but basically you go and create and express yourself. Whereas he'll have responsibilities in this team, especially out of possession, which he won't have been used to. And he, he might have, and, be, and because of that, and trying to be that £60 million player that's going to be one of seen as, as being, you know, setting the place alight, so to speak, I think he's just trying too hard. I think it's human nature... I think he just needs to, you know, luckily, as as you and I talked about previously, it's about that Vlado Silva is so good at the moment. He's taking the pressure off Riyad Mahrez to, to a degree, and that, that will help him. But he's got good people in the changing rooms that, are, that will support him. And, and slowly over time, he will start to nudge from being a 6 out of 10, and he'll get better and better and better. And I can see him in the new year, when the new year kicks in and, and the games again come thick and fast. He's one of those players that, that you will turn to to be a match winner because he's got more than enough talent in his locker. Well, let's hope you're right. And, and Mr. Positive, Mr. Paul Lake, is usually right. So uh, I'm pretty confident <laughs> that what he says is going to happen. Right, we're going to talk to Andy Morrison, former City skipper, right after this. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue with Ian Cheeseman. Yeah, that's me. I've got Paul Lake, the City legend, next to me. And in a moment, we're going to speak to Andy Morrison. I should tell you as well that we're on 106.1 FM. And this is the award, potentially anyway, award-winning station of XS Manchester. Dead proud to have been nominated. Not our show, but the station and something that Joe, our head of sport and head chief producer and general smart Alec, has been nominated for. And, uh, and so we're hoping that he's going to win that. But it, this is the Radio Academy Awards. On excess Manchester, Lakey. I'm, I'm so nervous, man. I can't speak. <laughs> I'm also looking at John and thinking, what's his, what's his speech going to be like if he wins? 
But uh, we'll worry about that near the time. Uh, I'm on, by the way, on Wednesdays with Joe, and uh, we, we have a United fan on as well. So if you used to listen to this and you didn't realise it, then the football socials on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, Monday, Gary Owens on, for example, with Mickey Thomas. And on a Wednesday, Joe and the United Comedian. Um, so always worth a listen. Right, let's get to Andy Morrison now. Uh, former City captain, absolute hero of the days when they needed heroes, this t- this club, and there uh, was Andy Morrison to step forward. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Andy. Evening, Lakey. Evening, Paul. How are you? you okay? Hello, mate. You are right? Yeah, all good, mate. Listen, can I put on my CV that I, I occasionally speak on an award-winning radio station? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Uh, you can very well it's going, it's going on. It's going on. <laughs> right, now then, uh, perfect that we've got you on there tonight because, um, and it was a happy accident, I can't take any credit for it, um, but when I invited you to come on tonight, I didn't realise that you'd done your pro license with Mikel Arteta. And uh, Mikel Arteta did the press conference today. He's going to be in charge tomorrow because Pep is banned to the touchline, which I know you've had experience of in Europe as well, Andrew. Um, so, uh, w- w- tell us a little bit about Mikel Arteta. The sort of do you, th- do you think he's the ultimate successor to Pep Guardiola? Oh, I don't think anybody could really chuck that, you know, on a on a on a young coach. Um, I don't think there'll ever be another Pep Guardiola. You know, I was fortunate enough, Ian, to to have three days on my pro license in at City. And um, and everybody asks me, you know, what what did you take from it? What, what was the tactics? What was he about? And and the thing that stuck with me was his eyes and his intensity, Guardiola. You know, I can't explain it to you just how in, how deep he was in everything he said. His passion for football just it just burst through in everything he'd done. Like you know, and that's what stuck with me. And uh, and I don't think anyone would ever be able to follow that. So you know, Arteta will probably go in his own path and take all the all the really positive things he can take from Guardiola and all the managers he's worked with but you know I, I don't think he really uh, anybody should be labelled with you know the next Guardiola perhaps he won't be the next Guardiola but he might be the one who succeeds at Guardiola he's certainly at the moment uh, you know alongside him at one time a lot of people thought it might be Patrick Vieira but he's since left the CFG group uh, I know he's at New York for a while and it makes you wonder especially because Arteta was linked with Arsenal before they, they made their appointment that he might be being groomed now you've had a an insight into to seeing him uh, learning his trade. What what sort of personality is he? Is he is he as driven as Guardiola, for example? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the word I'd have to use. Driven. Um, you know, he, he, he had a vision of of where he wants to go, and you know, and and I, and I think at that very top level, I, I don't know what quality of life, social life, these managers and that have at that level because it just seems to be relentless from league games to cup games to Champions League, and you know, and and but I felt, you know, speaking to him and listening to him that you know his his intensity and his desire to be the best was quite incredible, very similar to, to Guardiola. Like I said, I was fortunate enough to, to listen to him and, 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 and take that from him. And I think, you know, yeah, he is. He's exactly the same. He, he's very driven. He's um, he's very deep in everything that he does. And, you know, and he, and he lives for football. So, you know, it, all the attributes are there to probably follow in his path. I know Paul's got a couple of questions for you in just a second. Uh, but just one question. I mean, obviously you're a manager and you were a, an uncompromising defender. I think it's fair to, to describe you as that. We've seen different types of footballers. 
Pep, you, I suppose you'd call a sort of Fernandinho, a sort of skillful defensive midfielder. We've seen centre-backs go on to be managers. Gareth Southgate would be an example of that. We've seen great creative players like uh, Zola, um, and, and and people have judged whether or not he he's good enough. We see very few goalkeepers, but occasionally a goalkeeper. Do you think that having been a skillful player as Arteta was, that and, and this is going to sound a strange question. I hope you know where I'm coming from. You were a, a player who got the maximum out of, and this is not an insult. This is a compliment. A maximum out of your um, you know less quality, um, shall we say, abilities. You know, you you were, as I say, an uncompromising defender rather than a skillful midfielder. Just, Arteta... Just, just say how it is. Just say how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Arteta is, is... What I'm getting at is Arteta's naturally gifted. And I've heard it said that people who find the game easy don't make as good of managers. That's what I'm trying to get to. So what do you think that the fact that Arteta was naturally gifted makes it harder or easier for him to be a manager? Well, I mean, whatever he, you know, he, if that if that's factual, then he has to break the mold, you know, and has to find a way to make it work and, and deal with players. You know, I, I know Arteta was um, was a very very good player, you know, a, a, a good um, a good Premier League midfielder. But you know, as Alex Ferguson would speak about top top players, I don't think he was a top top player at the very very top of the game. Um, you know, he was a, he was a very good midfielder. Um, but you know that I, I don't think that counts for anything. I think I think from what I've experienced so far in management, you know, it's a totally different ball game altogether. You know, you you have to work with the, with what you've got, and you have to find a way of getting the best out of the group that you have. And you know, when you're working with the very best players in the world, like he would be working, then I'd imagine your job is probably slightly easier on that side. You know, you're not. Um, I, I'd imagine that every player that's at Manchester City um, is probably on a par, if not better than what. What, what Arteta played at, so I don't, I don't ever see that being a problem. You know, he'll be working with the very best players in the world, which would City have. Andy, um, it's a question I wanted to ask you: was in terms of um, Pat Guardiola, and and he he obviously looked to get M- Mikel in straight away. Can, can you do you recognise? Obviously, you worked with him on your pro license. Do you recognise the attributes that um, Mikel shows that are, are, are the reasons why Pat was straight in for him? Yeah, I think a big part of that, like he was, um, his experience of the Premier League, you know, and his knowledge of your Burnleys, your West Broms, and the different kind of problems that um, that he would face in the English Premier League. You know, Arteta, I'm not sure, was it maybe between six to ten years, was it, with Everton and Arsenal? So he's got a great knowledge of the game, um, how we play the game in this country, and the different problems that Guardiola would never have faced in Spain. You know, he isn't coming up against a you know, like a Real Madrid one week and then a Burnley the next week or a West Brom, you know, those are the different things that, you know, I think Arteta, I think that's why it's so important for Pep to have him on board. And and I think he's, um, it's, you know, it's well documented that he said that he needed somebody with an in-depth knowledge of the of the English Premier League. And, and Arteta certainly had that. And like I said, very, very thorough in everything he does, very detailed, you know, which again, when you listen to the, the documentaries, that sounds what one, one of Guardiola's great strengths was his, his depth to everything and, and you know, from what I know of Mikel, he was exactly the same. And, and also, you know, in, in terms of you talk about the pro license, and lots of people out there, well, that are, you know, aspiring coaches might not understand and, and appreciate, you know, what kind of detail that, that you do go into. But did you have to? Do you have to present on the pro license? And if so, did you see Mikel present, and, and what what was he like? No, I didn't. I didn't see. Yes, you have to have to present, and it's. Um, 
for, for me, one of the most difficult things I've ever done. You know, you've got Thierry Henry, Michael Arteta, Freddie Lundberg, and, I, and I'm trying to tell them how a team played in the system and how they got it wrong and how they got it right. right. You know, that's that's completely out of your comfort zone, like something I've never experienced. And and again, it's something that you know you need to do to to um, to actually experience that and 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 learn from it. And yeah, they all everybody. Um, but you know, Mikel, because we went actually went into City, a lot of his detail and his presentations were based around City. So. Um, yeah, but we all had to. We all had to do our bit, and you know, it's it's a good two year course, and um, and an and incredible amount of work, an incredible amount, which I'm still doing today. You know, I'm still finishing off now. So um, yeah, it's a it's a from from start now. It's about a ten year process to go from your UEFA B and your very preliminary badges all the way to a pro license. is a It's a huge task, but you know, it's well rewarding and it's well. Um, you know, it's it's well documented that it's the highest accolade you can get in, in football coaching. Good for you, man. Well done. You've obviously got ambitions then to, to to go at a higher level, have you, in, in terms of your job? Always ambitious. Always ambitious. You know, football's a very um, close business in many ways. You know, um, it's difficult to... to to actually get that opportunity, you know, when you're when you're when you're on the outside, and that's why it's so important when you're in, you stay in. Um, but of course, I'm ambitious. You know, I've, I've experienced European football now for the last five or six years, and you know, we've we've we've, we've had great results at Connors Key. You know, we're pushing hard now and challenging TNS. We beat Falkirk last week in the Iron Brew Cup, and um, so we're into the last sixteen of that. You know, and yeah, things are going well. Things are going great. You hope that um, somebody takes notice of that eventually and 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 says, yeah, they're doing really well over there because. You know, we were bottom of the league three years ago, and now we're, um, you know, we're probably the, apart from TNS, the most successful team in the Welsh league. So we're doing something right. I must admit, every time I look at uh, the Welsh league, I always look for Connors Key, obviously because of you, and they always seem to win. So you're obviously doing something right. Um, if you were picking the team now, the City team, and I know it's a squad game, and I know you could hide behind the sort of, well, you know, it, it, there is no first choice anymore. But have you got in your mind of the four? that are playing at centre-back, who the, the strongest two of those four are? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's Vinny and Laporte. I think um, I think they can deal with channels. I think they can deal with one-on-ones. Um, you know, I, I love Otamendi because he's, he, he, he plays as a six-foot-four monster, you know, and he isn't a big, big centre-half, but he plays like one. Uh, he's got a heart the size of a lion, you know, and but... I still always worry on the counter-attack when he gets pulled wide on one-on-ones and I never panic. I never panic when uh, Vinny's out wide or Laporte looks like he can deal with that. John Stones can as well, but I still think he's learning the game to the, to the level of the other two. Um, but my big thing with the way City play is, is you know, if you had Kyle Walker in the centre-half, I'd never worry about the counter because of his pace. Um, it's always that at the top level. When we come up against your Madrid or your Bayern Munich, it's always that, just that tiny little detail on the counter where I feel he's vulnerable um, you know and he holds his own because he never he rarely gets asked a question or exposed in the Premier League but in them top top games for me it's Laporte and company I think you're right Andy I think in terms of the balance of the side as well he just, he just feels more comfortable and more natural when you have you know, when you have Laporte you know playing that left hand side but also do you not think that in terms of Vincent Company, you know he's such a, a good communicator that, he, he, that at the same time as his presence and his ability and his leadership skills the fact that he's always talking to Laporte he's always talking to Kyle, always talking. I think that that's a that's a massive plus. I mean, did you find that when you were playing centre back, that were, were you that player, or do you have, have someone alongside you that, that was that player? No, 
Lakey, that was for me 100%. And I'll tell you why, and you'll understand. You know, I'm not saying that you, you, you lack pace like me, but as a, as a centre-out who lacks pace, you know, you have to sense danger continually and you must... It's like a, it's almost like a mathematician. You're seeing so many formations in front of you. And if you're quiet, you'll get exposed. You have to pull midfielders in the certain area. You have to make sure your full-backs are tucked or, or in front. Or you just see distances when you lack pace. And, um, you know, when Vinny... Vinny he doesn't really have to worry too much about it, but he does communicate. And, you know, the importance of Ferrandino being in the right position or, or the opposite fullback being slightly more narrow that just gives you that security. Um, it, it rarely happens for City because they rarely give the ball away and get overexposed. They have they have very, very quick counters to when they lose the ball, the way they press and the, the, the um, information they're given. And if you look at everyone, when the ball breaks down, every single player is moving. Nobody stood watching. They all have reason. It might be that they'll get it back in the first five seconds. It might be 20 yards further the pitch, but eventually when they get across that halfway line, they'll have forced the opposition to go in a certain direction that on the next phase, there'll be nine players behind the ball. And, and when I watch it and I see City do it, it's brilliant, but it's simple and it's hard work and it's communication and it's obviously the detail the manager gives them. You know, everyone has to be running. And I love the caption that I read last year from him. You know, I can accept players making mistakes. I can accept players giving the, the ball away. I cannot accept players not running he'll be sat next to me on the bench and I just thought wow you know when the best um, coach manager in the world is saying that I think we can all follow that you know if you're not running and working hard you won't be playing and it's them basics that City that through him they embrace those basics and they do them so well and they're the things that every club talk about but he demands it of them continually every game and yeah it's it's, uh, it's very refreshing to see it's not the first time I've probably said this and uh, anybody listening to this I'm sure would agree but listening to your passion for tactics and the reading of the game Andy is just so exciting I hope we see you at a high no disrespect to Connor Key, but I hope we see you at a higher level fairly soon and Andy again mate it's very illuminating and it's great for your, your lay person to listen to that and to really get a sense of, of, the, of, of how complicated and yet at the same time how easy Pep Guardiola makes playing football. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue with Ian Cheeseman. And this is Forever Blue and it's uh, 106.1 FM, it's XS Manchester. I am Ian Cheeseman, this is Paul Lake. We're going to talk about the Champions League game now tomorrow night against Lyon and more specifically for this little section of the, the show we're going to talk about the booing of the anthem which comes around every year uh, and obviously we know that City fans uh, you know, don't don't particularly like UEFA. Uh, there's been reasons for that, and anybody listening to this now is thinking, "Yeah, well, I, what are you talking about? I don't know why they boo." Well, it's been the 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 in, what they think has been the implement, implementation of FFP just to stop City. It's been the uh, banning anybody from going to CSK Moscow except for the 600 CSK or Moscow fans who got in. More latterly, it's probably been the escape of Liverpool fans from ha- having any meaningful sanctions for bombardment in the coach with millions of missiles last season. It's all that sort of that, that causes this animosity. Um, Gary James, who we spoke to on the programme last week and who's going to be with us next week in the studio, says, if ever I think it's time to stop UEFA to do something, it makes me think not another reason to boo. I still find it unbelievable that Besiktas were fined £12,000 more for a cat incursion than Porto were for a racist chant during City's uh, one-minute 
uh, late. Uh, obviously, there's two two things there. Porto get on um, for the racist chanting. City one minute late for a game, and they were fined twenty five thousand pounds. And yet the Liverpool culture tax only seventeen. And it's it's things like that that caused this animosity. Uh, there's another fan who on Twitter uh, contacted me a little earlier on, John Rogers. He says. Uh, I was disgusted around the cartel that was allowed to develop around last year's Champions League final and the constant refinement of the regulations that consistently protect stroke favour the historic achievers' founders. I will continue to boo con consistent corruption accordingly. So he obviously feels very strongly about it. We've got a couple of fans on, and before we talk to, to those fans, Paul... You declare your hand then. I asked you before and then I stopped you to tantalise right. you. So yeah. how do you feel about the booing of the anthem? Well, ever so quickly, uh, I never, never go into to, to sort of, you know, ch challenge a City fan that everyone's entitled to their opinion. I understand why and I totally agree with what your, you know, your previous tweeter had just said there. I just feel that if we had, we, we, I always feel that our philosophy is the twelfth man, and our, and our fans can add to that and create the Etihad on those nights to be extra, extra special. And and UEFA know what we think of them. They don't need you don't need to boo every time, you know, because they they know. And, and, and the football world know what City fans think of them. But like the Possum stopped now, that was in, it was on vogue, now it's gone away. And maybe we can find some different way of showing our disapproval of the way that they are. But I always feel that when you start off a game of that magnitude with booing, it's just negative. And yeah, okay, straight afterwards we start cheering, everything's fine. But I just feel as though, you know, just that, that booing is kind of, just that negativity that, that I just feel that doesn't really help anybody, especially when we're striving to to win this trophy that will that will that is what everyone wants and just doing all that we can to be the preparation as meticulous as possible i think from that moment onwards it changes when only only ever so slightly but it does change when you're starting off a game for any player and your own fans are booing it just doesn't feel right to me and it, it never has we've got a couple of calls now craig is the first one i'm going to chat to craig you're a city fan you go to all the home games you go to away games as well when you can i know uh what's your feeling about booing are you going to boo tomorrow night when the two teams are stood there listening to the champions league anthem well it's interesting listening to paul to be honest Ian. i mean i think it's probably run its course there's no two ways about it and, and i do you know freely admit that i was one of the uh, the exponents of it when it first came in uh, much to the uh, the disgust of my missus who stands next to me because i'd whistle the mind boo and whistle as loud as I could to make as much noise but in reality it's a protest at UEFA who might have a smattering of officials there who really don't particularly care I know they, they made a bit of a song and dance about it initially but we're not booing the opposition like Liverpool did when we went to play them to put the opposition off their game and if you know we've got an ex-pro there in Paul and, and, and a value his opinion if he's saying that that would unsettle him or it would be something he'd think negatively about then maybe it's about time you know we City fans think about that because the last thing I'd want to do is make the players who pull on that blue shirt on a, on the night on a Champions League, uh, League night particularly to think that we didn't particularly care about them and it was more about us and our feelings um, going back to what Gary James said in your piece there earlier you know it does go back to that, that ridiculous decision to, to find Porto I think it was 20,000 euros for racially abusing Balotelli and then we got fined 30,000 euros you know just just for coming out a minute late or something like that, but that ties in to the 
corporacy and the television and everything else, which is why, you know, as a City fan, I felt that it was a, just a corrupt process. So I voiced my opinion in the only way probably I could. Um, but I think it probably, as you're asking me, I think it's run its course and we should probably knock it on the head and get behind the team more from the offset. Right, stay where you are, Craig. Let's hear from Arnie now, and who's the chairman of the uh, Bredby branch of the City supporters. Uh, what, what's your view, Arnie? Well, I detest UEFA like every city fan. The dirty, horrible organisation. And I'd like, but I'd like to ask a question. Do, does anybody think that these small-minded people that run this organisation are going to have a team in the final that are booing their anthem? Would they rather, or would they rather have a team with the 6,000 hooligans bricking a coach? And the answer is simple. That small-minded, they will not have us in the final. Now, you can think the five guilt-edged decisions that went against us in that quarter-final were coincidence. But are they? Are you, and it's time for this question to be asked because these, they've shown how vindictive they can be in the past. And we're the victims, nearly always the victims. So I, I, I just think we're actually urging, urging our own club. We're actually urging our own club rather than rather than supporting it. I hate UEFA and I won't, you know, that's not changing. But I just think if it's damaging my team, I'm doing the wrong thing by booing. And I won't boo again. I used to boo. I won't ever boo again because that's what I believe. I believe we're actually in our club now and, and, and City come before them, what, all day. So if you and Craig are both now saying the time has come to stop, obviously you may have come across each other, you might not even know each other, but you'll be in different parts of the ground. How does that message, if you want it to, get out to everybody else or is it just going to be down to every individual? And either of you can answer that one. I think, in honesty, you know, Arnie's probably in a better position than me because I know he runs a, a supporters club, so he can have them conversations at supporters' meetings. I, I go on my own, I sit with my missus or I sit with friends or, or a group of people. Last year I was in the family stand and there were people in there saying, knock it on the head, the lad next to me was getting a bit fed up with it. So people will do it themselves. But I suppose the difficulty is affecting those younger fans, uh, particularly those who, who maybe sit in an area where there's a bit more um, a bit more singing, a bit more shouting and bawling, a bit more atmosphere, that it's part and parcel what they go for the match for and maybe don't look at the issue, is it affecting my team? You know, it's, it's about having a pop at somebody booing and, and whistling. But, uh, you know, maybe Arnie's in a better position to answer that one because he, he can, uh, I assume, affect some of the people who, who probably are members of, of that branch. I leave everyone to their own decision, but I, I make, I, when I discuss it with people, I make, I make my point of view perfectly clear. It's not about them, they're nothing. They're insignificant. But do you actually believe that they will let this club get into a Champions League final or by hook or by truck stoppers while we're booing that anthem? And it's quite, it's, when you think how vindictive they are, the answer's quite clear. If we keep booing, we ain't, we ain't going to win it. That simple. Wow, that's a strong opinion, but I value you coming on and talking about it. Arnie and Craig, thanks very much for your contributions. Tomorrow night, as you know, I do a, I do a vlog, and I'm going to make a point tomorrow, because the 1894 group uh, have created a singing section tomorrow. They've invited lots of fans to go into that singing section to try and create the best atmosphere they can. 
I'm going to chat to them. I'm going to see what they think before and after the game. And I'm also going to see whether that group, one of the most vociferous, do decide to boo the anthem and what it feels like to be in amongst it if it happens. Yeah, so good idea, mate. It should be that. interesting. That, I think as well, it? that would it would certainly help Mikel Arteta if for his first game we didn't boo. It might be a really powerful message. And like we say, and we say it time and time again, as Arnie articulated there, you know, UEFA will know what City fans think of them, but does it make, do they, does it make any difference towards them, how they feel? towards us either doesn't make a jot of difference it is you're wasting your energy let's turn our energy in a positive way to our team as always the voice of reason mr paul lake uh, we'll be back the same time next week uh, that's the the night of the oxford game um, so we're going to pre-record that one because i'm going to go to oxford next tuesday so we'll be re pre-recording it won't be live but we will be here between six and seven next tuesday to mull it all over and hopefully by then victories against leon and cardiff away in the premier league thanks very much lakey have a good week and you mate and i will speak to you next week hopefully with uh, three points in both competitions firmly in the back Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.